1: Welcome to the Pinwheels and Ivy podcast. I'm joined along with Kevin and Mitch. No Zoe today, but we'll see him next week. And honestly, Zoe's going to need a lot of nights off after what Lance Lynn did uh, Wednesday night in Kansas City. Uh, He was already tweeting about a couple 30 racks. I think they each need uh, some 30 racks after... That shellacking. But as always, the Pinwheel is podcast is brought to you by Sports Mockery. Download the Sports Mockery app and visit sportsmockery.com. Blackhawks just won the lottery. Maybe the Bulls will too. Um boys, let's let's go. Let's see. Let's go let's go a little positive here because it's been the timeline has been not fun, as I would say, the last few days in Chicago, both sides of town, fa- past couple weeks, even with the White Sox winning a few games on the road. It hasn't been all that great. The Cubs salvage Game 3 against the Cardinals. Uh, Justin Steele, his streak of, he had 14 games, 14 starts in a row along two earned runs uh, or fewer. That broke, but still a quality start. Cubs win 10-4. to 4. Cubs finally brought up last Friday Matt Mervis, but they brought up uh, Christopher Morel on Monday. No more excuses except for uh, Eric Hosmer's on the
2: team. They were listening but... to the show last week, for the most part.
1: <laughs> but I'll live with it for now. Um, Kevin, what do you say? I think Kevin actually. I wanted to start with this. I think I don't know if you mentioned it on the show before, Kevin, or if you tweeted it out. How as good as the Cubs got off in October, especially those first three weeks? You know, I think they were like around twelve and eight. Um, great start, obviously. They had only lost that first series in Milwaukee. This is pretty much what many of us thought the team was going to be. It was going to be around a round of 500 team. They were going to go on good runs, and then they were going to go on bad runs. The way that they've been losing is the frustrating part. It's so many one-run losses, the terrible hitting with runners in scoring position. Yeah. But, you know, you take a step back this is kind of what we thought we were going to get. So we can't complain too much, I guess. What do you got, Kevin?
3: Yeah, I mean, and and the fact you you bring up a really good point, too, is the fact that the Cubs have played in a lot of one-run games. And one-run games do one thing very well, and that is expose a managerial uh, collection of moves, whether it's leaving a guy in one pitch too long or not pinch hitting in the right spot and, you know, for the Cubs, I think it, the the big frustration the Cub fans are seeing with this, especially recent stretch, is that in in a lot of these one run losses, they were winnable games and there were questionable decisions that didn't put the Cubs in the good, you know, the best position to win uh, in the same situation. So David Ross is taking a lot of heat right now. I've seen a lot of anti-Ross stuff, but this team is they are who they are. They're one, they're a one heater away from being maybe like an eight game over 500 team. This isn't not a 95 win team. This is a team that might win, you know. You know, I think I think we said 85. I, I think it was what mm-hmm. I called maybe 85 or 86. Um, You know, that's that's them having a nice, a good heater, you know, but you got to hover around 500 for that to even happen. And, you know, we talked about it before we went on. There's a, there's a little kind of a rough May to finish May. The next 20 days, they're going to be pretty, um, a nice stiff test for the Cubs, you know, when they see, and we see where they are, where you get out on the other side of this thing. But, you know, a lot of these one-run games have really exposed David Ross's decision-making, whether it's yesterday leaving a in for what was the sixth inning of of work. And then, you know, gives up obviously in the ninth inning, gives up the jack, and then it gives up another run. Then all of a sudden, David Ross somehow has the horses to pull him mid inning after he's already given up the lead when he should never have started the inning in the first place. You know, it's just, I think Cup fans are probably the most frustrated by that. I, I think all the other stuff, the timely hitting is, a, is kind of a byproduct of that as well because putting guys in the position to succeed, he hasn't done that really well. You know, we talked about the pinch hitting stuff. Patrick Wisdom goes up there. Guys on first and third uh you know one out in the top of the ninth in a tie game, what does he rolls into or bottom that rolls into a double play you know uh swing at the first pitch and try to shorten up, which is weird for patrick uh, wisdom then the next day same situation, guys on second and third, down one infield drawn in, and Nick magical, a four percent contact guy against power pitchers on the bench, patrick wisdom, a fifty semi like fifty six percent strikeout rate against power pitchers just in general, let alone like in 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 high leverage situations. Sticks with Wisdom, too. Wisdom strikes out swinging, you know, then doesn't shorten up. When he All he had to do was shorten up and chases the pitch, you know, at his eyebrows, and he's out. What, the next day, same situation, second and third, Cubs were tied, I believe, right? Or no, they were down one. And Magical comes up to hit, didn't pitch hit for anybody, just Magical was hitting in his spot. Happened to happen. Second, third, same situation, less than two outs. Magical hits a base hit, contact up, gets both runs in, basically was the ball game there. And then you can sit there and go, God dang it. Like, this win, this win, this win, this win, this win. Those four or five wins should never have been – or losses should never have been losses. And that's what you're going to look at at the end of the season if the Cubs are one or two games. People are keenly aware of it. You can lose – you know, you can you can lose your chances and opportunities in April. You can lose a season in April. It, it, it's, it's Just because they're in April doesn't mean they don't matter. And these games, especially if the Cubs do kind of finish strong, like they have kind of – they seem to kind of do a little bit, uh, you know, because they're playing kind of low-leverage games a lot. So they might finish a little bit stronger with a little bit of a run. And people are like, ah, oh, look at those games. We, if we just had those five back. And I think that's where Cup fans are frustrated right now. But it, it's still the, – because there's a couple timely knocks away from like, you know, winning you a know, bunch of – like, I mean, I
2: hit one to the warning track the other day, didn't he? With like the base. Wasn't it like bases yeah. loaded? Base and low, like one of those like, oh, just missed it.
1: Mm-hmm. Like that, more- and then
2: he's the guy.
1: Say Suzuki has been the guy who just – he's been h- either hitting cleanup or batting fifth uh, as of late. And starting with the Miami Marlins series, like every one of those games, they lost by one, I believe. And I think uh, the first two games, Say Suzuki came up with either the bases loaded or two runners on, and he hit into like three double plays in two games. But yep. then, like on Sunday, I think it happened again, and it's like, you know, he's been he has been a good hitter. There's been so much shit talked about Say Suzuki because of a two week slump. And like, it's like Cup fans just forgot about like the past. I think I looked it up. It was like the past 300 plate appearances. Uh, you know, he was slashing like 280 with a 370 on base percentage and a 450 slugging. That's just, he was a very good hitter. Uh, two week slump. Absolutely, you hate to see it because it happened so many times that he came up with uh, guys on base and he just kept rolling into double plays. I saw this tweeted a couple times. Now, I don't know if it was brought up during the Fox national broadcast on that Saturday game in Miami, if it was, if it was in a post-game show, a pre-game show or one of the broadcasts, maybe I missed it because I think the Sunday game was on Peacock. I didn't wa- I didn't watch that broadcast. <laughs> Apparently David Ross told, say Suzuki, who's been hitting cleanup. Hey man, you're our four hitter. You got to hit it for more power was kind of the paraphrase of what I've seen tweeted. Say Suzuki is 28. He's, he was a star in Japan. He, last year, say what you want about him, as disappointing as some fans think, he was still a good hitter.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Why are you trying to change up and, like, basically mess up one of, like, a, a guy who, ha- who knows how to hit, who knows what he's doing at the plate, and then you're putting this into his head? I thought, yeah. I saw that. Now, again, I didn't hear firsthand. I've, I've only seen tweeted at me a few times. But if that is true, Oof. that is another knock against David Ross. Like, what uh, are you
3: doing? Say, Suzuki knows how to hit far. He's a far superior hitter than David Ross ever dreamed of being as a catcher in the show. So, like,
1: to- why try to change more, the mentality yeah, of a guy who's been consistently
2: pulled uh, up? Like, before the season, weren't we predicting like 40 bombs to the guy? Now, all of a sudden, yeah. well, you know, he's not a home
3: run hitter. just let him go out in there and hit yeah. long right. He got hurt though, so like let the guy be the guy. Whatever he's doing with his body at this point, that's you don't want to go out and be something they're not. If you're a cheetah, be a fucking cheetah. If you're a leopard, be a leopard. If 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 you're a zebra, be a zebra. But telling someone, you know, telling a, a chipmunk that they're supposed to be a lion is just fucking stupid. And and you you let your guys play. You play what they do with their strengths. You don't make them something they're not. And if David Ross can't, if that is really true, and David Ross can't figure out how to utilize his players with their specific skill sets as one cohesive unit. He's fucking terrible and shouldn't be that should be his job. That's that's the honest truth. He shouldn't be commanding and writing a lineup if he can't find a blend of the talent that he has that best optimizes what they do across the board. That is the definition of the only thing coaches have to do now as a job in the major leagues. Everything else is done for him. So if you can't do that it's he doesn't belong. And so if that is true it's not even more of a knock that's a that's a red flag more than even a knock. That's a problem. Um, and that that would be uh, add to the more disturbing stuff of like you know leaving a guy in for the sixth inning of relief, um, or you know not you know not playing the he, David. You know what it feels like David Ross feels like he's like a day late and a dollar short. He feel it's almost like it's the game is is yeah, is. Danny brought it up on our on the playback with
1: the the Marlins game that we did with them. Yeah. He's like yeah, just every move seems like he's just behind.
3: Yeah, well it's, it's he's, he's buffering. <laughs>
2: It seemed like when they hired him from an outside second, it was like, that's a little odd. Like, it did seem like a little bit like, all right, they're like promoting him from within because he was, you know, catches usually make good managers or whatever. But there seemed like a little, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh,
3: what's Fan it? service?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, basically, it's almost a, it's almost a little like Rick Renteria-ish where like now all of a sudden, like he didn't have any pressure with these last couple of teams because, you know, they're trying to like develop something. Now, all of a sudden, that he has some talent around him, and almost not even like I don't even think it's because like 2020 White Sox, I don't think we're supposed to contend this team. I think is still like technically a year away, but now that you're seeing him in nepotism, that's the word. Thank you. Nepotism. Uh, yeah, there was a little bit of nepotism there. Uh, but uh, now that you see him in some situations where he needs to win, and just kind of like Rick Real, like you can see he's like kind of getting exposed where well, before it didn't matter because you were just developing guys, but now he's got talent, and now you're seeing like what he can actually do as a manager, and you know. I've seen, a lot of people, the show.
3: I've seen a lot of people defend him, saying, "Well, 2020, he was coaching in high leverage game. No, there were no fans in the stands. Like it literally was a fucking scrimmage every day. So, 2020 doesn't count when you when you compare like high leverage yeah, situations. Tw- 2020, my mind, you're, 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 yeah, you're, <laughs> your your have- not going on on tilt." because the crowd's going nuts and you've got to make decisions in a logical manner, despite the fact that everything is going chaotic. Like, and so you're right. I mean, it, it, you know, Ricky Ritteria, and we don't even know if Ricky Ritteria, if the spotlight was too big for him, because he only got really one chance in the spotlight and it was his first taste. And then it was boom to Tony La with the Cubs. They, they canned him for Joe Madden before he got a chance to even get any of the talent. So like he's, he's never really had that, but, but with Rossi, you put him out there and, and yeah, I mean, Rossi was a, Kind of, it was fan service, you know. It, it was a it was nepotism in a in a lot of ways because of he, his relationship with, you know, Jed and Theo, and you know, I mean, they brought in their boy, and you know, we don't know. I mean, well, I, I just feel guess feel like what yeah, we,
2: it feels like it's the first time the training wheels are off, and you're seeing like what his managing chops are actually like. And, and so far, the other so far,
1: things are a little ooh. so far, so far. Oh, enough, by
2: anyway. the Shout out to
1: a uh, friend of the show, Greg Huss at Out of the uh, Vines. Um, he, he quote tweeted this this uh, on Tuesday night after uh, Ross left in Assad to start in, to start the ninth inning in a tie game, which was basically a start for Assad. It was his sixth inning. Uh, and this is what Greg tweeted out right before Ross was hired uh, after 2019. He said, how are you planning on enjoying your last few months of loving David Ross before you're required to hate him? Because he removed the starter an inning too early. I mean, that's that's basically been (laughs) at least a few times every week this season.
2: Well, I will say this for the Cubs, though, at least. And, you know, it's still early in the year. But it's better to find out now that the guy you have can't manage. As opposed to the White Sox when you had everything in place. And it was like, oh, yeah. Hiring Tony was a bad idea in the thick of like when this team was supposed to be contending at the core. I, like I said, like the Cubs are still a year away, so this is the time now to like find out kind of what you have with David Ross. Because at the end of the day, like I think most people coming into the year like thought they would be f- like you know a frisky and fun team. But I don't think anyone really thought, yeah, so this Cubs team's a serious contender. So you might as well find out what you have with David Ross now, and you know heading into next year. If you thinking of finding you know,
1: out the Cubs finally are at least going to find out with Matt Mervis, called Mm up uh, Friday. He started all three games against the Marlins, faced a couple of lefties, and then the first game was Cabrera, who had reverse splits, uh, tough against left-handed hitters. Then he started the first two games against the Cardinals. Slow start. I think he has, like, what, three or four hits in the first five games or so. A couple clutch RBIs, though. But at least, like we said, Kevin, before the whole... You know, banging the table for him was one of the reasons that Cubs fans wanted Matt Murvis up was for that reason to find out if he's good or not, to find right. out if he is your long term answer at first base.
2: But it's the- for him to get in that first hit out of the way. I feel like with that many expectations, like that's like the toughest one to get. And you can see how relieved he was too when he did get it. So that was like cool. I was actually really happy for him, uh, especially in front of that good, good crowd there. But um, you know, there's a lot of pressure to get that first one out of the way, especially in your debut and, and he did it. So as much as it's been a slow start, you know, props for him mm-hmm. to rise in the occasion and his first true, like big game of his MLB career.
3: Well, here's what Cub fans need to realize too, is like Mervis, for example, these guys are going to go two step. We, I don't know how many times you got to bang the drum on this show about rookies. They're going to go two steps forward, one step back, two step forward. It ain't going to be clean. It ain't going to be easy. It's going to be frustrating as hell. There's going to be hot spells and moments of brilliance. But the problem with the Cubs are they can, can't afford to have three of those in the lineup on a consistent basis. You're going to, if you're going to have Morell, you know, and they just did this, you know, they've been going through with Amaya, you know, they sent Miguel Amaya back down, but they've been truly operating, you know, for a couple games here with the six or the seven, eight, nine, all basically rookies. And you've got, you know, you know Christopher Morell actually looks pretty good so far to start, but he did that last year. He, you know, it's the adjustments for him. And his base running, which is very very sketch to me, um, and you've got Mervis that's going to have great moments, and he's going to have to figure out if he is. But if you're doing this, if these guys are playing, and if you're going to get you know get the what, what everyone wants, which is no more no more uh, Hosmer, we're just going to go with these guys and let these guys seek or swim. The Cubs are not a contender. The Cubs aren't a serious player to even be a postseason team because the lack of consistency. To go along with again, guys that are like like Patrick Wisdom hit a jack tonight. Wonderful. That was his tenth hit since April twentieth. You know he's hitting like one one fifty nine or whatever since April twentieth. It's I mean he's taking a few walks here and there, but you know you can't have guys disappear for long stretches. And if you have a couple younger players, rookies slash I mean Morrell's kind of a rookie, but you know what I mean. You're gonna you're gonna have just goose eggs sometimes. And so the Cubs fans have to kind of decide: Do you want to contend now? Then you're gonna have to get little tastes of them as they develop a little bit, because you're going to have to keep playing veterans and kind of get guys in and out, but you can't just sit here and let Matt Mervis struggle, which sucks for Matt Mervis, you know, in a perfect world, he could just play the string out and not be expected to, you know, if the Cubs, you know, a year ago would have been perfect because the Cubs were not serious, but this year they've kind of sold that seriousness and, so now the Cubs kind of have to decide, are they really serious about winning? As, as
2: I think far? it's the same thing with David Raw. I don't think – like, look, I know they're, like, better than what they were. I still don't think it's – like, say, I think you can let them play the string out because as fun as that start was, this team's not a contender. And I think Damn. most people knew that. Like, they're still trying to figure out what they got. So you might as well play them. There's no point in playing the veterans because I don't think – like, the Cubs, I mean, like, they can say – they they can give you all the lip service they want in the front office. Like they know, like the one year where they're like, "Oh, it's a retooling. They knew it was a rebuild. They knew mm-hmm. this year's kind of just a tryout to see what they have here. You might as well let the kid come up there and you know take his lumps now, because it's the same thing. Like better now than next year trying to find out what you have with them when you know you got Dansby, everyone's in place, and you're trying to contend.
3: This Cubs team doesn't feel like a like it. It, it does feel like they're still a year away, and I feel like an idiot. Because I, got, I I think I jumped the gun because I keep getting people in my ear saying I'm too being too, you know, pessimistic when all I call it is kind of logical. So I, this year I kind of overly bought in. And I think that maybe my, the, you know, the guts that we had that, yeah, we're still another year away was right all along. But they made just enough moves to get everybody a little bit, get the blood pumping a little bit more, sell a little bit more tickets. But this team, this team is not going to stand up in the end, um, barring some sort of massive, like, you know, something opening up for some of these guys and, and, and all of a sudden playing incredible baseball because this, this collection just isn't consistent enough uh, it, and, and it doesn't hit good pitching well enough.
1: And here's uh, the thing.
3: I agree with you
1: guys. Where in terms of the Cubs are a year away, but I mean, similar to the AL central the last few years, the NL central sucks. Yeah. So even, even if the Cubs are still a year away, they can still take advantage of this year and win the division. Cause it's that bad. I mean, yeah. this past week, I think the Pirates, the Brewers, and the Cardinals—before the Cardinals came into uh, Chicago and in won two of three—I think they combined to lose twenty games in a row. The 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 NL Central sucks. The Cubs are two and a half games back right now. They're one game under five hundred.
2: Absolutely, and that's not to say they couldn't surprise some people and sneak into the playoffs. Playoff, but like I'm not stunting Matt Mervis's Grove just because. Oh, you know, oh. we got to start the veteran here no, because we might be able to win eighty games and sneak that's the thing. into the, into the wild hard spots. <laughs>
1: Because the veterans aren't good. The, the veteran, the veteran is Eric Hosmer, who, again, it's not just Eric Hosmer this past month of what he was. It's not Eric Hosmer of 2022. Eric Hosmer has been a below average player for the last five years. Like we know, what Eric Hosmer. Like at best, he's going to be an average hitter. At the very best, is what. So it's the drop off of him to see what you have in Matt Mervis. You take what. You yeah. take the unknown of this guy could be good,
3: mm-hmm. yeah. You, you, at you, least you for me, to, and you have to know
1: what that you're doesn't getting. like to, to me. Kevin saying that, like I don't get the correlation of saying like, well, if they're playing all these rookies, that means that they're they don't want to contend. I
3: I, I, I just well, I'll be honest. I just don't. I, I if you're playing them exclusively, okay. Which if they're not, you're gonna fucking shit your pants <laughs> and hate it because that means that you're going to see. The other left-handed bat in the Cubs' locker room play on a consistent basis. You you just can't. You can't. You can't throw those guys to the wolves in another manner. You have to pull them back sometimes when they're near the precipice. And if he goes in one of those really rough spells where his potential confidence is at risk, he's going to have to sit. You have to pull him back from the ledge. No, he will. And, he will yeah. and, and that's the thing is you can't. So it's not just playing out the string. If the Cubs are contenders there's it's it's low impact it's low leverage it, it 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 doesn't hurt the same way it does striking out in a game when your team is in a hunt and that can be really detrimental to someone's mental development and so that's where I, I that's what i mean by that is you know obviously if you think that matt mervis you know is going to hit 250 uh you know and finish the season maybe hit like 15 home runs and drive in i don't know like 50 runs you know that's a pretty decent rookie year i would say that's not the kind of production a a team like the Cubs really need right now to be contenders because
1: that's that's my my point is the the comparison of that is that
3: is like double the production that you're going to get from the other option. Uh, um, I'm not, not that's, 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 I don't, I'm not, I'm calling bullshit on that. Why? Um, because Eric, Eric hey, first off, Eric Hosmer has like a, going into last night, had a 461 batting average with runners scoring position. So he is a guy you want in those situations. He is a veteran at bat that takes pitches yesterday. One of his outs was literally an 11 pitch strikeout that he got boned on a fucking call that should have been ball four. Okay. So there's things that he does well and he showcased a bunch of pitches and guess what? Morel goes up there. He got to see all the stuff in the repertoire. He has things that bring value to what he does. He does. He shouldn't be an everyday starter. That's, but he is a guy that's going to have to spell these guys, and you have to use him on a frequent basis. And I don't think that in small bunches he's worthless like you do. I think that he brings some value. Again, value is different to every person. I value a guy that's going to go up there and strike out on 11 pitches. Guess what? He just made the two guys behind him better because now they know what they can expect, and it worked because you know Christopher went up there came back, and after he hit that jack, he came in, and guess who the first person he's talking to? Kosmer in the dugout about what he saw because he got a chance to talk about what he saw, what he was going to see up there because of an extended at bat. And these are the things that I think he brings value to. He does fight pitches off. He's not going to fucking carry a team on his back. He's an eight hitter. He's a seven hitter in, in, in honestly, he, again, he's a platoon guy. It's what he should be, but he was supposed to be kind of like a platoon over there with, uh, with uh, Mancini a little bit, but the bat, the bats are going to have to happen here later, but now with Morell up, you know, you can see where things go. Morell, though, is the same way. Can Christopher Morell keep this up? We saw Christopher Morrell most of the end of last season, and it was horrid. It was it was damaging to the lineup. So if he, again, it, we know this too, it takes about a month for these guys to get enough tape and enough data on these guys before they co- formulate a plan that beats them, and it's about adjustments. And Last year, Morrell didn't show the ability to adjust midstream. If they make an adjustment here now, we could be seeing what we see again. We need to see a full season. So, but again, I, I don't know I just I don't I don't buy into the uh Hosmer has a zero value kind of thing. I do think he has value. I mean, unless there's a better bat in the Cubs system that's from the left hand, from the left side, he he's a necessary evil. He unfortunately for people that don't like him, if he's you can't go you can't you can't have a winning team with no left-handed bats on your bench and no left-handed arms in your bullpen. That's just not possible. Right.
2: And I don't think – I'm with you. Like, everywhere Hosmer's Hosmer's gone, everyone says he's an excellent teammate. And there is some value to have that guy to show him the ropes. He's, like, you know, going back to what – it's, like, almost like a John Jay-type player. You bring him in for a year, he's good in the clubhouse. Cubs legend, John Jay. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, 370
1: on base percentage, baby.
2: But, like, I wouldn't even be platooning. Like, it's fine for, like, a spot star here or there to play him. Obviously, if, like, Mervis and Hugh Slump. But I think the worst thing that could happen is kind of like, like what the Sox had with Oscar Colas is where like, hey, like this is our year. We're putting a lot of expectations on you, even though you're untested, and haven't figured out. You got to get Mervis as many reps as he can. And it's fine to have Hosmer there, like every day, like hey, like do that, like you know, show him a professional looking at bat. Like Kevin said, if he's in a slump, you got a guy that can like you know take some pressure off him. But like I, I, if I'm if I'm Dave, I'm finding a way to get him as many reps as possible oh, yeah. early on, seeing as many MLB pitches as I can. Because one, you got to see what you have, it, it, you know, and two, it's only going to be more beneficial for him down the road next year when all of a sudden he's
3: in a situation that counts and it's like, oh yeah, I've been in the situation before last. So- and he needs to get exposed too. He needs to get exposed so he can adjust. He needs to keep getting to the point where teams are making adjustments. And he's having to learn how to make adjustments on the fly. That's the beautiful thing about like a a Hosmer. When those moments that hit where like, say shit, they just figure something out. Hey, let's give you two days off. We're going to have you work in the cage on a bunch of shit that they just exposed. Then you can come back and then boom, you hop right into it. And you ride out, you know, that's what Mervis brings, uh, or Hosmer, excuse me, brings as a vet. He can can handle sitting for five, six games and then popping in there. Like he can emotionally handle it. He's going enjoy- probably enjoying the fucking ride, for all we know. You know what I mean? And he's he is a fun guy. So of I mean, he is. he's the, the production would be about the same anyway with thrust. What do uh, you mean? One seventy like, out?
1: <laughs> one last thing to wrap up on the Hosmer talk uh, from Bleacher Nation uh, by expected uh, weighted on base average, which uh, measures the quality of contact plus walks and strikeouts. Eric Hosmer is the second worst hitter in all of baseball this year. Um, which
3: which goes to show that stats aren't always. Well, no, it's a, well. it's a it's a, it's,
1: a, it's a predictive stat. It's saying that right his results aren't as good as right. as good as the numbers seem. They're they're not actually. Um, Which is great. when you're, numbers that actually do. You're trying to prove
3: that someone doesn't belong there, you can find a lot of stats. But I just look at the runners in scoring position and say that's a guy I want up there in certain situations. If your manager my, is putting people I, in the, the correct position to succeed. Eric
1: Hosmer, I think I told you this in the that Washington series with Patrick Wisdom, even if it was Nick Madrigal, I would get Hosmer out there because he makes contact. He hits ground uh, balls. So he can he can get him past guys who are drawn up. in.
3: He shortens up really well. I but think like,
1: he... he but I'm I'm leaning more towards Mitch's side here. Like he's purely a you start him one time a week and when you start him you don't hit him in the middle of the lineup. You'd hit him eighth. You treat him like you treat Patrick Wisdom yeah.
3: Like there's here's, no reason other guys here, should be betting uh, below him because he's. Here's the sad good. part, though, of how not great the Cubs have been. Mm-hmm. He is basically third in the team, roughly third, third, fourth in the team, and basically RBIs. Like he's had more RBIs than Saya, more RBIs than Magical. I mean, Velasco Morell's actually going to catch everybody. thinking like in a day, it sounds like, feels like, but um, even going into other going into tonight, you know, Giancom wasn't there either, but he kind of jumped up with his bomb, but he's actually only one RBI less than Dansby Swanson. I mean, and Dansby, the d- massive difference in the, who they are, you know, but yeah, I'm just saying like, sometimes you look at these numbers and you know, when he's heading, when he's in the right spots and he's used properly, the guy could be a nice little weapon off your bench again in, in contact situations, in veteran at bat moments. And that's what you really know. That, but that's the thing that that's what I want. Mm-hmm.
1: That's what I want Ross to stick to. Cause he's going to, I've accepted. He's the Cubs like him. the Cubs, like Eric Osborne. I, Don't, but it's fine. They like him, so he's on the team. But like we said, with like the pitching changes, the the other lineup stuff. Mm -hmm. Maximize the guys, put them in the best places. You succeed.
3: And that's what Ross is doing. Ross is doing it.
1: A couple final things to wrap up on Cubs talk before we switch over to the Sox. uh, Unfortunately, for by the way,
3: left-handed back coming up. I'm going to throw this in there. Why don't we just have Owen Casey come up. Thanks.
1: Owen Casey, twenty years old. Uh, if you guys don't know about him, Cubs fans, look up Woo! Owen Casey. Uh, that guy is twenty years old. He has like a thousand o- uh, OPS in double, double A. He's twenty. He's facing guys who are three, three to four years older than he is. Um, the the one good thing about that U. Darvish trade, it looks like. Um, mm-hmm. But Dancy Swanson's finally slugging. He's on fire. I think he has like yep. like what five extra base hits in the last two games. Two doubles Ian and a on base. Right? Yeah, two doubles and a homer, and then I think he had two more doubles uh, Wednesday night. Ian Happ keeps getting on base. Say Suzuki slumping. That, that's the other thing with the, with the, with this two week slump since the Miami series as a team. It's just like all the guys that are going crazy in the first couple of weeks they they're not anymore, you know. So you know Patrick Wisdom, as you said, since it was like two and a half weeks now, was slumping bad. Uh, and without, when you don't have, when you don't have his power, when you don't have his power in the lineup, there aren't guys who hit home. <laughs> the no. Cubs went, the Cubs went, I think 10 games with one home run. Uh, mm-hmm. you're not going to win game. That's how you, that's how you outlast those long stretches of hitting poor with runners in scoring position. When you have a guy who can come up there and hits a three run home run that the Cubs just didn't have that. Uh, but yeah. Jan Gomes has been incredible. Six home runs. Yes. Uh, yeah, for he's... him. At, at this point, Jan Gomes is like team leader for me. He or he's the veteran leader. <laughs> it yeah. seems like the, the Cubs just keep winning when he's playing. I think they're thirteen and seven now and they're five and twelve without him. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like that. Maybe the math checks out. But Danji's hot. Uh was gets finally get to see Saya get a couple hits on Wednesday because he was struggling bad.
3: Um he's cooled a little bit, but he's still finding ways on.
1: Yes. He That dude isn't just the defense. He almost threw a guy out that he had no Cubs. chance of throwing out. He's just so special. And center. By the way, I, I I mean, it's probably, I'm sure any team that Cody Bellinger would be on, and he was at this great start, any GM would say like, oh, we want to keep him around. But Cubs GM Carter Hawkins, not AI, or maybe he is, I don't know. AI is really advanced now, so maybe they took a copy of his voice. It is he was okay. on the score talking about, Keeping Bellinger and I, I know we, I know I brought it up last week. And Mitch, you were like, let's wait it out a bit. And you know, you're, you're right about that because what if he just sucks for the next month? But we have seen several times before with Cubs prospects, not just Cubs prospects, but prospects around sports. You take the proving commodity. I am not going to sit here and be like, but we have Pete Crow Armstrong coming up. No. no, no. If if you can if you can sit down with Cody Bellinger and work out a long term deal, you work out that long term deal with Cody Bellinger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't be like, ah, Cody loved you for the season. I thought make your money. We got we got a couple prospects coming up. No, or no. flip them with
3: the deadline. <laughs> you
1: you you figure you figure that out later.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, any any other cup stuff? Oh, we have not given enough love to Ben Brown.
3: Oh. Kevin. This is a Ben Brown podcast as far as I'm heard. Ben talking.
1: Brown. And again, right now the Cubs have uh, – it's legitimately like four or five pitching prospects who on any given night you can like pull up the MLB – the MILB app or whatever and go to the box scores and be like, this guy struck out eight in five innings, gave up one hit. Looks incredible. But Ben Brown is above <laughs> –
3: and beyond all these guys, right now, best arm in the organization, best arm be... in the organization, best arm in the organization. I am gonna beat that drum like a like a rented mule. That he is the best. He has the best stuff of anybody in the Chicago Cubs organization, and I include everybody at the top level. His stuff is yes. filthy and effortless, and oh, I, I am he, every time. I every the... more I watch him, the more I am like
1: he has he just has that it factor the poise on the mound the the presence he has the presence you know it's like yes this guy's a stud he's a star he's going to be a star he just has it he just has it on the mound ben brown 23 i, th- I think he's going to be called up august maybe to be in the bullpen at least at the very least in the bullpen get it get him his first mlb taste like the what the Sox used to do like with sale uh you know they did it with other guys too and the Cubs have done it recently, too. Justin right. Steele, Keegan Thompson. I've, uh, ben Brown, guys.
3: Ben Brown's going to be a star. 6'6". Six, 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 what is he? 6'6", six, six, 210. Right? Yeah. What is he? 3-0 like, oh with a 0. .59 ERA in six starts. He's given up 47K two earned in
1: runs in 30 and two-thirds innings.
3: Sub one whip. Uh, just filthy. 47
2: strikeouts. No, he's this dude's going to be a stud. I mean, there's something to be said about tall pitchers and having a presence on the mound because you get that long stride, the ball's coming at the hitter faster. I mean, he's got, like you said, filthy stuff as it is, and then you take that massive frame shortening the distance that fastball's coming in at you. doesn't matter what level you're at. It's going to be harder to hit. There's a reason why they have a stat on Baseball Savant extension. It's exactly like guys Ben Brown because that ball looks like it's coming in a lot faster than it is.
1: The the other stuff that we see this year with the – Just one last note on like minor league ball here is that especially for double A guys that I think I shared that story with you guys how they're they're testing out that new sticky stuff at double A like MLB is trying to get their own new approved substance but they're testing out at double A and everyone's like well like how good are these some of these pitchers Ben Brown was one of those guys was at double A dominated his first four starts and then his last two at triple A with just a completely new ball and no sticky stuff. He's just been equally, if not better. So right. it's it is exciting times for as many years. Because even when the Cubs in the you know the mid 2010s, all the top prospects, they're were, they were position players. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was Baez, it was Solaire, uh, it was Chris Bryan, obviously, Schwarber, you know, Happ a little later, Contreras, Elmora. they were all position players. There is just no pitching guys to look forward to. Oh. And now they have at least, you know five guys that you can name off the top of your head it's like well okay. these guys can team. be something caleb horton today had an off day his first off day as a Wade pro horton he first start uh at south bend yep kate they're caleb sorry kate yeah,
3: yeah, he, yeah had a, he had a rough, uh... a bit a rough. I mean, rough. let's i mean that's what what is rough for him right i mean what was his final line um
1: I saw that he gave up a three-run home run. I don't know what he, gave he did. Three-run
3: jack. It was a it was a it was an infield single, I think. Uh, uh, a single
1: then a home run. Yeah.
3: Yeah. He gave up six earned runs in three innings pitched tonight. So
1: see that, and that is the other three key homers, of
3: three homers. And it was his first high A debut. The, so his first time he was facing non like teenagers. Exactly. The era, that's
1: Horton. the other key part where the Cubs. So Kate Horton, twenty one. He only pitched one season at Oklahoma, and it was like half a season because he was coming back from Tommy John. Right. He doesn't have a lot of pitching experience uh, You know, pitching in his 20s. Right. He started at low A, like you said, against basically teenagers, 18-, 19-year-olds, maybe a couple 20-year-olds sprinkled in. And he was dominating those guys. He's about to turn 22. I
3: mean, yeah. he's going to be five years, four or five years older than the guys that he was just seeing. And uh, he was
1: dominating at- dudes. And uh, at Cubs prospects, Brian Smith pointed out in his third start, he's getting away with it. He's leaving a lot of pitches, like fastballs middle-middle. You can you can do that to like a nineteen-year-old. You're mm-hmm. not going to get away with that at a at a, uh, you know at a level even just one level above. And we saw that with the three home runs given up. So it's good. This is good. As always, though, it's a young guy coming up. You want this? It's part of the development. Hey, you can't just you can't just rear back and throw 95 down the middle. You're going to get your dick kicked in. So it's good. Um, any final cups thoughts, Kevin?
3: I, I mean. Big test. I mean, we're gonna find out here in the next probably. Minnesota
1: next... help out the Sox here, maybe. Yep,
3: could be. I mean, it's not easy. For, it doesn't get any easier with the Cubs, and the, you know, the Cubs took a Cardinals team that's been playing like shit, and
1: yeah, gave, gave them life. Them life. That, that's what was really annoying. Obviously, losing the one run game, two runs on Tuesday, but the St. Louis Cardinals were like dead, and the Cubs
3: gave them a little bit of life, which sucks. Yep. And all um, you know, the pitchers came back, and you know, people were this and that or whatever. It was like whatever.
1: Oh, like, I, I want okay. I want Mitch's thought on this. I can't even think of someone who's, I mean, I let's stick with the catcher position and the guy who's like a little surly. And, you know, everyone's always said about AJ Prasinski, it's a guy you love on your team, guy that you hate when, he, when you're playing against him. After 05, uh, and let's say AJ would have left like, you know, what, like four years later and but that's the thing. I, it's it's because of the, it's it's, it's some of the comments that Contreras made, which again, Kevin, <laughs> I think that some Cubs and fans took
2: way man.
3: too personal. <laughs> way too. Look, look. I mean, because Dan Spiess said the same thing about with the Cubs. Like, I've never been in an environment like this. Yeah. De- Braves fans were like, "I kill you." Same thing. And so, like, yeah, he's gonna say, "Hey, I really like it here." I, of course, he's gonna couch out to his fan base. And yes, they took a, like some. Here's the here's the funniest one of them all is that. A drunk Cardinals fan at a bar told another Cardinals nice. fan writer that one time Wilson was in the bar with them, and they said because there would be a lot of Cubs fans crying over you being there. Said, "Oh, I'll make him cry for a long time to come." No, not even close to an attribute like to wait to attribute any kind of like credibility to a drunk ass Cardinal fan in Florida of all places. I mean, you're already like the IQ of all of it goes down like just exponentially, but Cub fans have latched onto that, saying, yeah, like, it's it's almost like they want, it's it's the, it's the thing. It's like trying to make it feel better that he's gone kind of thing, so we're going to create all these narratives in our head to make us hate him, instead of just saying, take it easy, bye, you didn't like us, you do not want to be with us, cool, best of luck to you, don't let the door hit you on the way out, but I don't care, like, we miss you. I do Thanks have to say, day, but there was one personal. thing that came out right after he started
1: with the Cardinals, and like, I didn't, because like, it was obviously Wilson Kikura's trolling, which he's been doing since he's played with the cubs but it was in uh whatever that one publication that the players do the players, players tribune i think where yeah. he wrote the article and he's like he's like yeah and it was like <laughs> it was like yeah you know playing in july facing the cardinals i just couldn't wait to put on a cardinals jersey and it's like whoa i mean you were still playing with the cubs so like maybe but again that was him trolling of course he was gonna say <laughs>
3: But yeah, listen, people don't take his, like, he makes a sarcastic joke because he does. I mean, he again, he said shit. I mean, we know this. I, I mean, Cub fans, it's like, where have you been for the last half decade, if this is all a shock to you, that Wilson Contreras is playing his to his fan base and being a heel to their biggest rival? Like, what did you think he was going to do? More so the fact that he never got an offer. So he's got like this, you know, for him, and he's had a great fucking series. So... I, I'm not going to dog that. He's worked himself up into being a relevant offensive threat just on a, emotion alone, because that's what it really, obviously, governs everything that he does. And so, I but that for, to be shocked, it's so weird. It's like where's so, what? Where? So
1: taking all that and like maybe maybe you don't get the whole story, but you get, you get some of it, Mitch. Would you boo
2: or would you cheer the first time he would come back? No, I wouldn't boo. I mean, I already said this. Like you have to appreciate everything he did, won in a Cubs uniform. Like he helped you win a World Series. So, like, they're, they're, that alone, I think, helped. And then the situation that he left, too, you got to take into account. Like, it was clear, like, the clubs didn't want him. Like, he that last season for him was a shit show. They tried to trade him, like, twice. He had to go through, like, 26 farewell tours. So, I think eventually you're just kind of, like, washing your hands of the whole thing. And so, of course, he's trolling. Of course, he's trying to help out his new fan base. And it was kind of similar with, like, me and Jose. but Like, I loved Jose Abreu. And then he had the things kind of ripping the socks a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you still got to appreciate everything he did, one. And number two, the divorce is a lot easier when you see, oh, yeah, the Cubs aren't going to play him at catcher anymore. Like, clearly, he's having his issues down in St. Louis, too. And it's the same thing with Jose. Like, oh, yeah, you see, he still doesn't have any home runs. It's like, all right, mm-hmm. like, this break made a little bit easier. Like, if he's absolutely raking down in St. Louis and, you know, whoever the Cubs catcher is now, oh, is Gomes still like Gomes? Yeah. Yeah. Which like he's not. to is playing like, well, but you know, say he's struggling, Wilson's raking, and then he's still saying all that stuff. Then maybe you're a little bit more irritated by it, but like, I still wouldn't. Boom. I mean, and it, like yeah. I said, it's especially when he's playing as poorly as he has been down in St. Louis. It's always like, eh, you know, thanks for the memories. Uh, best of luck down there. But
3: it cracked me up too, though, if you were reading social when it all happened, he, you know, he got, he, he hit what he got a base hit, right? Yeah. And as he's jogging a first, whatever. Fans are fucking booing him, like boo. So he turns around and goes, eh, you know, puts his hand, and all the criticism from. Club, I can't believe he did that with his hand. He was being <laughs> booed. by the bow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you want him? What do you want him to bow? What? What the fuck are you looking for? Like, don't boo him. I, I will say this too. He's right for, like, yeah. He's like a you heel. Know, yeah.
2: I agree. I mean, like all this that uh, he's made, like that's kind of how he built his brain on um, being the hill. Like he had that grand slam against the White Sox and he had like a three-story bath clip. And watching <laughs> that is like, that sucks. How dare you disrespect the game when I'm rooting for like Tim Anderson throwing his bat like a javelin? So like you know, it's just how the way like fans are. I, I will say this, though, like as much as Wilson's going to say how great these Cardinal fans are, I mean, we'll see how much he loves them when July <laughs> comes around and he's still hitting as poorly as he did. Like That honeymoon phase is going to wear off really quick because the Cardinal contingent down here in, in Missouri is strong, and they're not going to put up with any of his, like all of that extracurricular shit if he's not hitting. It's not the Cardinal way. So We're, we'll see how happy he is with that great fan base in his Cardinal uniform in July in that packed Bush Stadium when he's still batting 230. You
1: know, well, he's, I, he's I wrote about
3: sixty six now, which the Cubs, that's uh, you can take the Cubs for all that. He's got I like- wrote
1: about I just like wrote like a mini thing about him coming back and getting, you know, half cheers, half booze uh, on Monday. And I'm like, I mean, this is like a win, win, win. If like from the Cubs side and Wilson Contreras, Wilson Contreras got paid and and a lot of people said overpaid. Like that deal. he got five years, eighty seven and a half million dollars Two, the Cubs are doing better behind the plate in terms of what they want in a catcher, like controlling the, the pitching staff. And Jan Gomes is having an incredible you know, first six weeks at the plate. And third, Wilson Contreras, while he isn't the main problem, has been a problem of that St. Louis Cardinals pitching staff. And this could ultimately be an even bigger win, because let's say the, the Cardinals for a time, they do get back on track. The the starting rotation, the overall pitching staff looks better, and then Wilson Contreras comes back and starts catching again, like in June, and then they go in the tank again. Oh, that would be even
3: better. That would be here's, amazing. Here's, here's the shitty part, though. It's Flaherty and Wainwright who haven't been good for at least two years now, but they've got to have some sort of excuse for this year as to why they've been mediocre. And of course, but the losing that the Cardinals have gone through, even easier they they found a, they found their they found their someone to throw under the bus. And those two guys are dog shit. They're dog shit, and they they That's another funny part is, it's great to watch all of these guys that we've known are douches, eat their own heads in this point, like eating their own. Like it, it's great, and I, you know, I wish I just wish the Cubs could have put their thumb on them in this series. Like a Cubs sweep would have really put the thumb on them, and they had you a chance just to win like, the
1: series. Like lose the series, though. all right, Mitch. Socks. Socks. Oof. I mean, they look great in Cincinnati, but who doesn't these days?
2: Um, well, yeah, I mean, you'd think they'd look good against the, the Royals. Royals. <laughs> Let me tell you. So, like, before I went to that NASCAR, I went up Friday and I went to Kaufman Stadium for the first time. And I will just say this first time, I know a couple of Sox fans were there. The stadium experience there now, that stadium is nothing special as far as amenities, but the, the, the overall fan experience as a guy that goes to usually like 10 White Sox games a year, so much better. Oh, massive parking everywhere. You can tailgate out in the lot like two hours before the game. Now, mind you, it's a much bigger lot than Guaranteed Rate Field. I'll keep that in mind. But, like, the, the tailgate was great. You come in, like, two hours beforehand. No lines to get in. Part of that's also because the Royals suck and they're playing the A's. So it's basically a AAA team. So, you know, context here is important. But getting into the stadium, no problem. And there's a lot on, like, 18,000. White Sox even, like, when 20,000 on, on a weekend. You know, it's a, it's a nightmare getting in and out of the stadium. The concourse is why you can walk around. It was like very eye opening. Like you know, you see some of these other teams do it. It's like, wow, this is really how bad Guaranteed Field staff is at operating. Uh, yeah. As far as the product on the field, though, which is even more disheartening. <laughs> watching this White Sox series, they're playing the A's, right? It's like it's a combined like sixteen wins between the two teams. I'm not exaggerating when I say it's like a triple A team. Like the A's were up five nothing, and then nine to two, and then the Royals made it nine to eight, and ended up losing like 12-8 in the end of the day. But like. You know, I'm watching this Royals team. I was like, this is a disaster. And they were sitting Bobby Witt Jr. So it was like even worse. I'm like, okay, the White Sox, you know, feeling pretty good coming off of Cincinnati. This would be a good way to keep the World Bench. I'm like, rolling. And they suck. Like, they're getting clapped. Brad one. Keller got shelled by the A's, and we had two hits off them through four innings. You only only get one damn run. It's a, just when you start feeling good about them, they, they pull you back in. I so everyone's saying
1: how, or people started to say how Hans Hans-Rabel, uh Alberto was going to be the new Lori, li- where like he was going to be the scapegoat. But then he he hit a whole bunch of home runs, and his num his his numbers now look fine. El, but like Elvis Andrews, kid, he, he's like he's not good.
2: Are they just going to keep rolling out him? He's struggling, man. Yeah, I mean, you almost might think about putting in Lenin. I mean, there's so many guys struggling though. Like it, the, it's weird like how the runs just come in bunches with that team. I think they have more problems than just Elvis because he is playing pretty solid defense. Mm-hmm. Where at least Leury, when he was out there, like wasn't like he made a pretty nice play at second base. He held Definitely. down the fourth really nice. shortstop. So I can live with Elvis floundering because the defense is there. Where like if it was a Gavin Sheets doing the same thing and he's giving you the defense, he isn't right then maybe you're not as uh, lenient. The real thing that's like concerning to me all of a sudden too, is you know the starting like Lucas Giolito is now like passing the eye test. He's the guy you're most confident with coming out every fifth day. Like he is now the new ace of the staff as of today, May 10th. When, when we're recording this, like Lucas Giolito the ace. Like, I don't this is getting really concerning. Lance Lynn has gotten into like where I was like, well, you know, I don't think it's a rule rule change. You has got to tweak some stuff. But you get lit up against the Royals like that, then, the, yeah, now I'm starting to press the panic alarm
0: on, on him, too.
1: <laughs> you brought up Cease and Lynn, and I had to look it up because, you know, a couple weeks ago, I, I did the comparison with Lynn and Dallas Keuchel uh, from Keichel's 2022 season. And then I was, after Lynn got uh, hit around uh, against the Royals on Wednesday, I was looking up, like, so, like, how bad is Lance Lynn? So, I was looking at the live stats, the live updated stats on Fangraphs. There are 71 qualified starting pitchers. Lance Lynn is dead last with a 7.51 ERA. Dylan Sees, to my surprise, is fifth worst at 5.58. What
2: the hell happened to Dylan Cease? I I just did an article. I wrote an article about him to like, you look at his numbers. The stuff is about the same. The velocity is like slightly down, but it's not enough to be like, this is why it's bad. Now he is throwing a lot more fastballs than he used to. The slider usage is down, which is kind of weird considering a slider was the best pitch in baseball. (laughs) But you also look at it as far as the walks are concerned, especially in his last start against Kansas city, the walks weren't the reason he got in trouble. He was got in trouble because he was having problems putting guys away. He would have two strikes, and there were six instances. He either had a one-two count or a two-two count. And then one other instance, there's a um or yeah, one two or two two or like better. He was ahead in the count basically, and he ended up giving up hits. So like that's concerning too when you got a guy that makes a living off of strikeouts and his issues aren't coming from command. So well, I don't know what cool. it is. Maybe he's tipping pitches, maybe it's confidence,
3: maybe it's the new rules. I don't know. It's crazy too. He uh, he's given up a hit an inning more than a little bit more than a hit an inning. He is still striking dudes out though. He's just in in the middle of the strikeouts, I and mean, he's got forty nine Ks and forty innings pitched. I mean, that's pretty nice. The stuff is still there. Absolutely, yeah. A one five one two war or whip, excuse me. He is allowing base runners like in playing with fire and not missing barrels that burns you, and that is you're like, the question is, is it, is is he not getting the same movement? Is he, is it mental lapse when he's on, he's on the payoff pitch and he, you know, he doesn't hold the at bat for the entire finish. Instead, he like loses focus right before the punch out. Guys do that. I've seen that. I, I, how many times I've, I've I've been around players that could not, they get to two strikes and then they couldn't just, they couldn't finish, couldn't deliver the knockout blow and they'd miss spots and they would end up coming back and biting them. So like, is he, is he just dropping a little bit of the focus at that point? You know, that there's a lot of stuff that, It's that's a huge, this is a huge drop off. I mean, cease day was like, you could guarantee this is going to be a pitcher's duel if there's two good pitchers, but you know that you're going to see a guy go out there and carve and cease day has kind of ceased for the time being. (laughs) It
1: has been (laughs) deceased.
3: Deceased. And like, like, like you
1: said, like Dylan sees like last all of last year or basically like starting in the second half was like, all right, this guy's going to go out there. He might only go five innings, but like he's, he's either going to give up one run or no runs. And, like, yeah, he would get in trouble with the pitch count. There would be a couple walks. But, but yeah, this year with all the hits. Yeah. Cause I was looking back and I was like, looking back at the Kansas City game. And I was like, wait, wait was he walking guys? You look at the box where it's like, no, he just one kept giving up hits. And then I look at, I look back at like three, four starts back. It's like, you know, every start now, teams are just getting like five, six, seven
2: hits through four, five innings. And I cannot emphasize this enough. That is a triple A lineup. <laughs> that line of like Perez, Bobby Witt, one of you, and he's playing like those are probably your three. Like, yeah, those guys are major league caliber players. Like the rest of like Jackie Bradley Jr. Give me a break at this point of <laughs> his career, and he's hitting ropes off these guys. Uh,
0: off,
1: off the top of your head, do you remember? Do you recall how much of a drop off was the slider
2: usage? I'd have to look it up. It wasn't like it was. It, it was a like I think it was a two percent drop oh, okay. off from what okay, it was. Okay. But like it with two strike through four innings, it was it was startling because he he was throwing the the fastball I think over like sixty seven percent of the time in, in that last start against the Royals and is like why are you throwing the fastball so much especially with two strikes. He'd be trying and to like groove a fastball, but it's like don't overthink it.
1: The only thing that I can think about, and even with you said the fastball velocity isn't that much down, but it is a little down. If the slider usage is down, my brain starts turning: Is there an injury? Like, is there? Does he not want to use the same like torque in the elbow with the slider? Does
2: is the velocity down because there's something wrong in there? Maybe. So he threw a slider 45% of the time through forwardings there. Here's the usage rate. So it's only dropped. It's dropped about 3%. It dropped from 42.9 last season. This season, he's using it 40.5. Okay. It's a slight drop. But once again, it's like another one of those things where it's like, I don't think that's enough to be like, this is the reason why it's so much worse than last year. And I even came on before the season. Like, I think there's going to be a slight decline because he had a historic season. I think it's unfair to ask him to do that again. But to not even be like passable. And the, the even more frustrating thing is too with this team, like it feels like every time you get one thing figured out, like they had a run. The starting pitching was looking pretty good for a stretch. <laughs> the bullpen just sucked and they couldn't score any runs. Now all of a sudden the bullpen looks good. Joe Kelly's last couple outings like
0: out. <laughs> yeah, I
2: mean, all The lopez been doing it, like the bullpen's been all of a sudden really good. Which what happens to get rid of Jake Diekman. But uh now the starting can't the starting pitching stinks and they, they can't hit. It's every time they gave like one of the three things working and they can never get like if they had two out of the three going, we'd be winning these games.
1: The you mentioned his name. And then the other big news this past week was uh, I think it was Bob Nightingale who reported how the White Sox already. Uh, and like this was what I mean, a few days ago. So still the first week of May, they have already decided. And when you hear from Bob Nightingale and like, yeah, we like to shit on him a lot. But if it's Sox news, you you know, he's getting it from the front office or Jerry Reinsdorf. Like you're you're getting it straight from the source. There, they're already planning to move on from Lucas Giolito, which I think is, that's not that huge of a surprise. I don't it's think odd that I'm, they
2: would leak that this early. So in early, the year, though. Yes, most so people. So what do you make of that? Mitch? Yeah, that was bizarre to me. What I think he's been pitching really well. Like I said, I think he's been their ace. I think last year was an outlier because he has shown he can be a top tier starting pitcher this league more times than that, especially since. 2019 he's actually one of just seven pitchers in white Sox history that have had two plus 200 strikeout seasons. i mean this just goes to show the stuff he has and he's well on track this year and especially that royal start he had it was because a lot of these games come down to you need to make like four or five pitches can you make the big pitch in the big moment and he did so getting back to the initial point I, whether i think they, they bring him back next year i think the money that he's probably going to demand because he is top tier caliber pitcher contract year. He's pitching. Well, he's going to price himself out of Chicago. And if there's one thing the Sox are good at, it's not paying players and it's worked out with them. Well, letting guys walk as far as like Jose Abreu said to say, it looks like it was working out. Well, I think Carlos Rodan, despite the good year with the giants, I think that's worked out. Well, you see all the arm injury problems he's had. So it's probably the right move. To let you walk. Now, why you would say that this early, I think it's a little strange. Maybe it's a little extra motivation for him. But this is to the broader point. If you want to look big picture, this is what's so sad about the whole thing. Even looking at Jose Abreu and Carlos Rodon, when you had all these guys, it's like having a quarterback on your rookie deal. you got to take advantage. Because when it's time to pay all these guys, you're not mm-hmm. going to be able to, and you got to let them walk, and they wasted an opportunity. Now, there's a lot of teams you see across professional sports where this happened. The Packers, for example. You have Aaron Rodgers there for a long time, and yeah, they did win the Super Bowl. But like, I felt like they never took that big swing and capitalized on having all those guys. Uh, like, you could go across like a bunch of these like scenes. Like, you always got to bring in the big free agent. Adam, like the Celtics now, they got like Jason Tatum. It's great you had all these homegrown guys and you made the right moves, but you never added that like big swing to capitalize on having all of them. And that's what's so sad about this White Sox thing. You're going to see all these guys slowly start to leave and have success elsewhere. It's because when you had your core. You didn't bring in that last finishing touch to finish it off. So that was so depressing about the whole thing. Cause I don't think he's probably going to be worth the money. He's going to ask. And I understand why they're letting him walk. It's just a wasted opportunity. So two things
1: that not to add more uh, salt to the wound here, but if you look back and again, it's the same front office, you know, Kenny and Rickon running the show. If you look back to, you know, if you want to consider their previous core, cause you know, they, they had solid players when they had Quintana, they had Chris sale. You're they, on cheap deals, and like you're talking about a strong ace in sale and a good number two in Quintana yep. during those times. And then you still had you still had a few years where Adam Eaton was putting up like four war seasons in right field. But like you know, that eventually ran out, but he was still good for a few seasons. You had Abreu in in his prime, like those from 20, you know, 14 on. And even with those four guys <laughs> during that time like, the best they could do is what, like, a 75-win team? Like, even going back to to when you had those four, like, good-to-great-caliber guys on your team, couldn't do anything. The second part on the, the Nightingale and that, like, random leak in early May, to me, was this just basically being like, hey, guys, Lucas Giolito, who wants him? Like, cut... Like, that that's kind of what I'm taking it as. Like, hey, you lose lose your leverage? We're, we're not even thinking about bringing them back. Everybody line up with your best offers.
2: Don't you lose your leverage that way, though? Because it's still a division that's terrible that you could theoretically say we could win this. And now by saying, yeah, we don't, we're not going to bring them back. If I'm a team, why am I offering you a ton? Because I know you're not going to bring them back. You have no leverage. You just lost all leverage in negotiating.
1: Here. Kevin, what do you think? What, what did yeah. you make of that early leak? Like, literally, first week of May, you're already leaking. Your best pitcher, yeah, we're not. We don't want him back.
3: <sighs> I mean, you're, I guess you're trying to send a message to everybody else that highest bidder, throw your deal down, throw your cards on the table. We're not extending them, so you have a chance to take this person. You guys can do with them what you want. Um, I mean, that's what that kind of smells like to me. It's basically like at least throwing up a flag saying, We're listening by saying that we really don't have an intention to bring them back or so you like know. the
1: White Sox, what are the White Sox around? Right like 13 and 24, 25. Yeah. Um, I think Kevin, you said, you know, a realistic goal could be get to 500 by the all-star break, mm-hmm. which I mean, oh, okay. You, know, you can make up 12 games in the next, what would it be? Eight weeks or so. Yep. Maybe. I mean, not the way that they look, no. then that's the thing we keep saying this and I, and like it's a, it's at a different level because last year we we're talking about like well you know get to like get on a roll to win the division right now we're just talking about like get on a roll to get to five hundred um which isn't that far apart uh, from what that could be but
3: but to I get to five hundred is like going to require good baseball I mean where are at but I, I just feel it's like it's the
1: same it's just the same stuff with this team it's like yeah if it's because even if they do get to five hundred. It like, who do they have to trade to get to the next level? Like, who's going to take them over the hump to like, okay, we're at 500. Now let's, let's, you'd also need people to
2: trade to bring in to get them. If you wanted the guy to get over the hump, he should have ponied up the money in the offseason.
3: But it's, it's like with the Cubs and then the NL Central, the AL Central is also a steaming pile of cow dung. And I don't think the Twins will be like, I mean, (laughs) It's not happening for anybody right now in that division. I mean, both of you know, really are hard. are bad. And so being at 500 means you're going to play some good baseball to get there at this point. But that just says, I mean, you could literally win that division being, again, a team with maybe you 80, 88 to, to 90 wins maximum. You could still win big seven to eight games over 500 and win that central possibly. Like, it, it's you, theoretically... you uh,
2: You absolutely could win that division, even as bad as they've played. However... The goal when they set off, this is, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to be happy until we have multiple, like call me after the parade, <laughs> uh, you're multiple championships. And now the bar has been lowered to we hope we can win the division. And the uh, last year we have a bunch of our core. And, and I don't want to go them through them. another rebuild. The fan of me does not want them to trade these guys. I, keep, I want them to keep Lucas Giolito. But objectively speaking, the smart thing would, to do would be to trade all these guys. Because say even you crawl, crawl back and you win the division with your 80-win team you're going to get your ass kicked in the first round. So what good is that really doing you? Because then you're right back to where you started, except minus Lucas Giolito, who you didn't get anything for because uh, he walked in free agency. Like, I mean, at that point, you might as well just sell. As much as the division is winnable, you know this team's not good. If they were in the AL East, they'd be in last place by fall. Like the Yankees would be in first, and they're in last there. So like, we already know this team can't compete with any of the big dogs. So what, what, don't waste your time. Like, we, Who are you kidding what do you guys think
1: is the cutoff date for, like, one of the... Right now, it appears Lucas G. Little would be the prime trade candidate from the Sox. What do you think that cutoff date is, like, where the Sox are like, like, yeah, no, you guys had your time, we don't see a way.
2: Is, I it, do the is it all-star break? Shit out. Okay. I think you're fielding calls the whole time. Like, okay, like, we'll listen. And then, you know, right around the trade deadline, if it's not, you know, looking like any better. You pull trigger, even if well, they're playing around five hundred ball. It's still man, like- I am. I, <laughs> I
1: keep looking at the socks, and it's like, all right, all right, they won a few series in a row, and then I look at the records, like, oh, there's still eleven games. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a deep hole to uh, dig out of. Um Is oh one of the, what happened to you? Grandal? mine Is he is he just yaching now? Or Sebby's a better
2: catcher. Okay, okay. The pitchers like to, You listen to all these guys, they love throwing to Sebby. Like, even like that game with Lucas Giolito, he's at the big moment in extra or in with the bases loaded. And, and Seb perfectly timed timeout comes to the mound, settles him down, gives him some extra time to kind of like you know regroup, which we've seen multiple times this year. I, I think C commented on how he likes throwing to Seb. Lance Lynn, I remember when Seb first came up in, in Minnesota back in 2021 was like, yeah, for like a rookie, like he was great to throw to. So hopefully the offense starts to catch up with it, but between the two of them, that a better
1: defensive catcher. Well, you know what I'm thinking, Kevin? Cubs need a left-handed uh, veteran bat. If you there Give you the go. Sox a call and get Yasmine and Grendel. Pay, pay the, ra- the remainder of his money. This is last year, right? This is last year of his contract? Yep. Man, There's you another trade. Because just... he's, he's had a pretty good season, right? Yasmina yeah. Grendel. He's been on hey, right. the plate. Turn, they're
2: very okay,
1: perfectly okay. acceptable. Okay,
2: okay. I was gonna say
1: after paying. last year, anything is yeah, almost anything's exactly. better. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh,
1: what else do we got for this? Like Garrett Crochet, Liam Hendricks—they look to be close to coming back. Hopefully, that matters for the team, com- like com- competitiveness-wise or meaningful baseball. And in- at the end of May, heading into June. Um, Elo, oh, Elo Jimenez, just the bad luck continues. I don't even know what to say anymore, guys. It's, I do, I didn't see it that way. I wasn't on Twitter that much over the weekend when the news broke. When, um, I get to get his appendix removed, but uh, were Sox fans
2: like mad at Eloy for that? Like, come on, like, what? It was, like, it was only a matter of time, it was not a matter of if, but <laughs> like, when like, I'm done with it by now. I was even point. upset. Like, I'll be honest, it's like, yeah. <laughs> Baker's saying, I mean, What are you going to do? He's a luxury to have in the field. Like, you can't rely on him. And that's the other thing with this team, too, as far as getting back to 500. Like, they haven't really been fully healthy this year, but you can't be like, Well, just wait till they're healthy because you know they're never going to be healthy. I so, think it was
1: don't... on the White Sox show for CHGO. They were saying, I think it was a few days ago, that they were listing out the total, total number of games since 2020 that, you know, Robert Mancata, Eloy, Grandall and TA have all played and it was like the most games they've played together was in 2020 and that that was the shortened season. <laughs> I think last year was a total of two and this year it's like five or something. Or no, I think, I think it's lost. a little more. Well, I year. know
2: I know they lost one of those two.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh rough stuff like I, I don't know, Luis Robert, Luis Robert got hot again. Luis Robert is the Kevin you you, you want to talk about a streaky streaky players. Lace Robert is on the roller coaster of a lifetime this season. (laughs) Like it was literally his first ten games, awesome. Next, like three weeks, terrible, and then like I think it's been ever since his benching, he's been on fire again. Which I guess you like to see, right? As a coach, Kevin, after after you bench a guy, you embarrass a guy. You don't want him sulking. I mean, he's coming out being like, "Hey, I'm I'm better than that." I guess.
3: That's a positive. Would,
1: I'm trying to get a positive here.
3: <laughs> Man, why would someone on the night that Cade Horton got lit uh, come and try and come at me for saying that I thought that Ben Brown had the best arm in the Cubs' organization by citing Cade Horton, who got lit tonight? Something that Brown has not done today. Maybe a relative, relative Cade.
1: Yeah. I mean, how I,
2: does that have to do with Luis Robert? Yeah, Luis
1: Romper, come on, Coach Kevin. I was trying to give you a, a soft voice.
3: I just kind of literally
2: really put it like meatball right over the like, Right drift, down the middle of the drift drift yeah.
3: Sorry. I want yeah, like a minute of coach talk just, here. Okay, repeat the question now so I can come back from the – I was. In. <laughs> Luis,
1: Luis Robert has been on fire since he got benched. Uh, I think it was like a Saturday night game
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, for Doug and – uh, Sunday afternoon, I believe. Or Sunday, and then uh, what was – and then, you know, didn't know bench coach's name – Said that he was hurt, but they didn't tell anyone on the coaching staff. They didn't tell the trainers. Uh, I was pretty much embarrassed by I mean, publicly by the team. Um, but he's responded, so he's been on fire. So I was just like, you know, asking like, hey, uh, you obviously like that as a player. He's responding, and he's not sulking. So, what do you got on Luis Roberts? Uh, hot like what? Like ten days or so.
3: That's why you hold guys accountable. I mean, you treat everybody the same. If someone, you know, and. Uh, you could tell that there was the shit that happened because there was the miscommunication. That you know, either way, Luis Robert looked like shit in this situation and deserved to be disciplined. Because if he was hurt and he didn't tell him, his fault too. If he wasn't hustling, his fault too. So there was, you know, he he wore it. And, and you know, part of being a leader in a clubhouse, especially when you're talking with these kind of guys, you have to be firm with them, but you can't destroy them. I mean, like I mean, again, this isn't a yearman. I mean, this, this. Oh, actually, you know what? This is kind of a Yerman Mercedes thing in a, in a weird way. Is disobedience breeds discipline within the clubhouse. And some guys can take it and then it makes them better and they come back with a little bit more perspective because they had to sit and watch from the bench from a day or two, different angle, different perspective. And some of them don't, and they take it personal and they they collapse. And you know, which ones do you want? The ones that can take it or the ones that can't. It's a long season, and it's a lot of baseball. So I think that this is a good thing that you've seen the response from Luis Robert that tells me that. He's a he's listened and learned, but it also tells me that you can keep pushing him. You don't have to put kid gloves on with him. You can handle him a little bit more physically than maybe someone with fragile emotions, which allows you to really dig in and develop a talent like him. And I'll and- say
2: that I'll say this for Luis Robert, and I don't know if as a coach you'd look for this too. But even when he was been hitting bad, he's been engaged defensively. Like he this <laughs> he, when he even when he was hitting poorly still putting an effort on the defense of that
3: that's that and that's making yourself valuable it's it's, like in any sport if you're in basketball and you're, you're off you're not hitting any shots go play some damn good defense go out there and pass the ball go get some rebounds you don't have to always be you know the guy that's scoring all the points and in the same kind of concept even if you're not hitting it and you're not swinging it well you're not seeing the ball you're in a little little you know funk you're you can't just you can't get out of your own head guys that go out there and still find value in all the other facets of the game. And I can tell you if he got on base, he's probably running the base as well. Um, and he's out there picking the baseball and doing that tells me that, that again, he's able to handle the adversity. So these are all good. These are, these are green flags, not red flags with him uh, as far as what he can handle as a future pro. And as he matures, he's still kind of young and he really did fly through the organization and was more than likely, unfortunately allowed to probably act out as he wanted to, Without much, like, what are you going to say? It's Luis Robert. We, we have like four prospects in our system right now. He's the best. So he didn't get a lot of that. Now he has no choice because there ain't, there, there's no other way but up or down. And and it's, if you're not going forwards, you're going backwards. And I like the fact that he rebounded really well from the discipline because that's message heard. Won't happen again, coach. Let's fucking go. That's a good thing. You want that from the guys. And now you can kind of fine tune the other points. Every time you see something, rip it in the bud.
1: Any other any other Sox thoughts, Mitch? No.
2: I mean, <laughs> what else is there to say? I mean, Joe Kelly looks better.
1: Joe good, Kelly, yeah. hey.
2: Good it, and
1: I know Zoe hasn't been a fan, but you want Joe Kelly good because at the very least, that's another trade trade chip. chip yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to get you amped up here because we've arrived to one of the most anticipated NASCAR minutes. <laughs> I gotta wake myself oh, up here. Late night, Late night, Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the NASCAR Minute.
2: Oh man, where do I even begin? Well, we'll start before we even get to the race because there's a lot before the race and after that went down so we were in kansas motor speedway this week and it was a week that formula one was in the united states big deal that's like kind of the biggest motorsport in america you have patrick mahomes the race was in his home state in kansas he was down in miami all these celebrities down in miami and the contrast between the two races was <laughs> night and day you had the formula one drivers out there it's too hot we don't want to stand out in the sun for driver introductions and then at kansas you got three wide action the whole time Proving, once again, NASCAR is better than Formula One. So before the race even started, I got there pretty early. We were at the track around 8.30 uh, because we won, I want. There's this journalist I like. He's kind of like the uh, Jeff Passan of NASCAR, if, if you will. And he has like a thing, like, you know, he talks to people. So like, you know, what big J journalist to another wanted to go chat him up. So I'm pre-gaming that. And as we're walking in there, Kansas Motor Speedway, they have pickleball courts. And we're watching these guys play Pickleball, and I'm like, look, and I was like, that guy looks familiar. And we look, it was Austin Dillon, one of the NASCAR drivers out there playing Pickleball. And, you know, Austin Dillon's a guy that I've been trashing a lot on the show because he had a horrible reality show. He's Kyle Busch's teammate for Richard Childress Racing. He's only on there because his granddad owns the team, you know, nepotism at its finest. He is a Daytona 500 champion, but you know me. You know, it's like almost every athlete, you see him in public, you you, you rip him in private and then you see him in public. And like, oh hey, can you sign my stamp collection? So that was just kind of funny seeing Austin Dillon play pickleball. Super nice guy, so now, you know, I'm gonna have to be a little bit nicer to Austin Dillon. We're walking back to the track afterwards and we walk past like one of the haulers they have and like they have like, you know, their merchandise stands or whatever and we're like looking in there and we're like, oh my God, like that guy looks familiar too. It's Noah Gregson. And you know, he's talking to fans signing stuff and I didn't have anything. And so my buddy had, like, a tin of, like, Zin, like, dip thing, or whatever, or, like, the, you know, the nicotine thing. So we go up to the stand, <laughs> talking to Noah, and, like, he's like, hey, like, no, you like mine signing, like, the, the Zint thing. And he pulls one out of his pocket. He's like, hey, you got to get on, like, the citrus grind, dude. So, like, the dude's like a homie. we're like, hey, listen, Noah, he, he doesn't like Ty Gibbs. We're like, hey, make sure you go, like, wreck, kick Ty Gibbs' ass today. He's like, yeah, you got it, whatever. Well, he got the wrong guy's message. We'll get to that later. But on to the race itself here the, the race was incredible quite frankly i've been to a lot of sporting events this might have been one of the greatest races i've ever seen there were 34 lead changes throughout the race guys going three wide the whole time there's 11 cautions first lap uh, first couple laps of the race five laps in tyler kyle larson he's in the front tyler reddick tried to make a move past him he wrecked kyle larson so kyle larson the five car he has to go all the way back to the field work his way back Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr. racing the piss out of each other up front. Uh, So, you know, it's shaping up to be a good race. People are wrecking each other all over, coming down to the final stretch. Now, Kyle Larson, who wrecked early on in the race, he works his way all the way back up near the front for the final stage. So 37 laps to go. We're on a final restart here. Kyle Larson's near the front. Denny Hamlin's in third. And William Byron, who... He had a speeding penalty early on. He also got wrecked. So he was like two laps down at one point. Works his way back to the third, which was incredible as it is. So restart happens. There are a couple laps then. Kyle Larson races ahead with the lead. So he's running away with this thing. Byron's trying to hold off Hamlin. Hamlin makes the pass, and Hamlin's been fast all day. He won the opening stage. Now the race is on. We got 25 laps left. Kyle Larson's in front by a hefty margin. Denny Hamlin's trying to track him down. These are two future Hall of Famers. Both ranked as the 75 greatest drivers of all time. Larson's car progressively starts getting worse and worse and worse. It's getting loose all over the place. He's trying to ride the wall, hold on to it. Hamlin, cracking him down slowly but surely. Tries to make a low run. Couldn't pass him dive bombs him again tries to make another run slide job move larson holds him off car still like hanging loose and this just shows how good of a driver larson is because this car is crap now at this point it's sliding all over the place larson likes to ride that wall though so he's riding the high line he slaps the wall a little bit and that allows henny to get right up his denny get or get right up his ass denny tries to make a pass here with 12 left still couldn't clean him. so now he's getting desperate like he's getting close larson keeps holding him off final lap of the race kyle doing everything he can to hold on. Denny makes one last run. He comes down low. They're coming through the turn two, down the backstress. Denny gets right up next to him, doesn't leave him any room, cuts off the dirty air. He tags him a little bit on the side. Larson loses control. He hits the wall. Denny passes him. Last lap pass, first last lap pass in history. He crossed the finish line. Everyone's booing him because they're like, he wrecked him on purpose. Really, it's Larson. He shouldn't have gotten get that close to begin with he wins the race. Now, this is where stuff starts to go down. That Noah Gregson guy that signed the Zintin earlier, he's all pissed off. Because earlier in the race, Ross Chastain is part of the Ross Chastain Don't Give a Fuck Tour. Uh, he rode him up into the wall. So, a little history here. A couple of weeks ago in Talladega, Ross Chastain, if you recall, moved, no, um, moved Noah Gregson out of the row, up high. Gregson tried to get back down. He wrecks. So, he wasn't happy about that. The story says that he confronted him on the team plane because they're both Chevy drivers afterwards and was, like, pissed. So this is, like, behind the scenes. And they two work, work out together, I guess. They have the same trainer. So then this happens again, and he was saying on the radio, he's like, he better watch himself, like, after the race, like, I'm going to get him. The spotter's like, no, man, just focus on him next week. But he's fuming because his car has been awful all year. He was having one of his best runs of the day. And they were going three wide. And to be quite honest, Ross Chastain has the reputation of wrecking everyone. Didn't really do anything wrong, though. He just didn't leave him. He left him one lane. And, and Noah Gregson felt like he didn't have enough room hit the wall. So he comes marching over there. He grabs a fistful of his shirt. And he's like, hey, man, like, what's your problem? Ross Chan saying, like, hey, stop. He's like, what the fuck's your problem? He's like, stop. I like, am telling him. And, and finally, third time, he, he says, stop. Ross just, bang, fast his hands clearly on the track, clocks him. You can hear the audible, like, poof. Now, Noah Gregson lost a bet a couple weeks ago. So he has this awful Amish bull cut. The punch connects with him. You can see his hair. If you look at the video, like, Poof up a little bit. Meanwhile, Joey Logano is in the background sipping a Coke like he just got out of the concession stand, laughing in the back. Chase Elliott was the one that was egging him on. He's like, hey, you know, someone's got to do something. So all these drivers sitting there laughing. Security jumped in, so Gregson couldn't even get the punch back, pulling him away. Suffice to say, a wild afternoon at Kansas. So now I'm walking out of this track like this is one of the craziest events I've ever seen. Last lap pass, there's a fight. My buddy's like, hey, like let's go to Hooters. I'll be honest. I'm not an alpha male like Nick Adams would say. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to no damn Hooters. Like, oh, come on. Let's go. So we go. And of course, there's a bunch of other mouth breathers in line there. So we're waiting in line and, and we turn around. And I was like, hey, that guy like looks familiar. It was William Byron, another driver, like 10 minutes out of the race. He hauled ass out of there, and he was there with his girlfriend at Hooters. So there's three drivers that we met in the same day, and the last one was at a Hooters parking lot, in the Hooters parking lot, 10 minutes after the race, which was kind of funny. There you go. That's your NASCAR Minute from Cam.
1: That punch, strong. Strong. that punch at the end of the fight, reminded me of the uh, Michael Barrett, uh, yes! AJ Perszynski oh, one. Where I know a lot of Cubs fans like to bring it up all the time, like as if it's a such a huge win. That's like Michael Barrett, like just had a like non-defendable punch, and like AJ Perszynski barely stumbled. Like, that that was a big L for Michael Barrett and the Cubs. That was a big L for the dude who like punch the other See, guy and nothing. I happened. disagree.
2: I think, and and you know what? And this is, and I like Noah Gregson now, because like I said, he signed uh, a Zintin for me, which I think is the funny <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things like, I don't really give a shit about getting his autograph, but like, yeah, you know, he's signing stuff. Might as well. What do you have on him? Like, oh, I got some like sins or whatever. So like, I, I like Noah because of that. And he was a cool guy. And he like, we even told him like, Hey, like go kick Ty Gibbs ass. Like, oh yeah, you got it. Whatever. But in this instance, one, Ross didn't really do anything wrong. Like, both of them were racing incidents. And he has that reputation because he's wrecked so many people. Anytime he's around a wreck, like people just automatically blame him. So, like, it's a rookie driver, day ruins. So that's one. Number two, if you're gonna go fight the guy, you don't grab his shirt first and give him the opportunity. Like, if you're gonna go punch him, go punch him. Like he's clearly upset, like fine, but you swing first. Like you, you can't go up to the man, put your hands on him, and expect not to get hit. So uh, I think that one Ross was in the right. He told him stop like twice, and, and he got a good shot at it. And then the funniest part was Noah was all pissed because the security guard jumped in and, and he couldn't get the uh, the hand the, oh, there. So I, I think that's <laughs> funny. But if you watch the slow mo of his hair, like it like goes because he's got this awful bowl cut. Like he looks like Mo from the Three Stooges because he lost this bet. You know, hit him, hit him clean. Fast hands these drivers had. People say they're not athletes. Tyreek Hill talking about Formula 1, I know is trashing it earlier. Tyreek Hill was one of the people that was at the Formula 1 race. And they were doing this, like, reaction thing. Like, he for Tyreek was with one of the drivers. And the driver kicked Tyreek Hill's ass. Like, they had, like, the dot thing, like, yeah. much faster than Tyreek Hill. So, like, I just going to show, like, these drivers, a little bit more, uh, uh, I guess not even athletic, but the quick reaction time, you know. I know be- watermelon farmer, too. He's got that uh, Southern boy strength.
1: Out of all the non-combat sports, where do you rank uh, NASCAR drivers in terms of uh, fighting ability, overall, general?
2: See, it depends who it is, because some of them clearly don't want to fight. And, like, it's- like if it's Joey Logano, uh, you know, squaring up to you, Mitch, you think you can take him down? I think I can take Joey. <laughs> I think I can take Joey. <laughs> Joey got in a big fight with Kyle Bush, but, like, it was Joey's pit crew that kind of roughed up Kyle Busch. So it wasn't even Joey, so which is kind of <laughs> funny. But this is not the first time someone's tried to kick Ross's ass because a lot of people have mad at him. And both times, Ross comes out on the better end. Like, he, does, like Noah, if you look at the tail of the tape, you would say, Noah Gregson's winning this fight. He looks a little, like, stockier, you, you know. And Ross is kind of like, you know, he's small. He's, like, soft-smoking. Um, He races like an ass, but you like, talking him off the track. His personality doesn't match the way he races. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> fast hands so i think it kind of depends jeffrey earnhardt you look this guy up he's a guy that's like chugging beer shirtless while fishing barehanded you know he looks like he could throw some hands and then there's these other guys like you know like a bj mcleod i don't know, like he actually take that back bj could probably throw hands but like joey logano i think is a better example i just don't think it, it kind of it varies it varies i think a lot of these guys though too know that the fight's gonna get broken up so they can act a little bit tougher going up there because all you have to do is get one punch in and then they can't really do anything to you because people are going to break it up. And so that's yeah. another reason, Noah, rookie mistake there. Like, you're going to go punch him, go punch him. Don't put your hands on him first. Very, very similar to a lot of uh,
3: basketball scrums.
2: Right? Oh, yes, yeah. or,
3: or anytime Javi Baez was involved in any kind of scrum, it was, uh, 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 a back, back. back, Him and a, um, get-
1: By the way, the fact that those two guys are now in the same division again is fantastic. <laughs> with the uh, amir garrett with the royals and buyers with the the tigers
2: i'll tell you what i was surprised though that was the only fight that raised because tensions were high and like there was a lot of wrecks and i couldn't go through all of them like i usually would just because there was so much that happened there that, like kyle bush tried to dive bomb a group four wide and then he got clipped in the end and spun out he was pissed he was calling ross an asshole earlier too the two got together and he was dooring him down a straight uh straight away so a lot of drama on this one
1: now, so when th- when they are wrecks, like obviously the, they're not always going to be on purpose, but like uh, we can even as a casual fan just looking, you can see we're like, well, a guy purposely like went in there. But for like, I guess long-term, like are there still like long-term, like, hey, you wrecked me five years ago. Any like the next time I can get you, I'm going to
2: get you. Absolutely. Or is it short-term memory? So or is it not? Ross Chastain. We'll use Ross Chastain. As exam- they keep a scoreboard. These drivers have excellent memories, and you, and you don't want to, like, if you get wrecked, you definitely, like, you want to make it, get back at them when it matters for most. So Denny mm-hmm. Hamlin, who just won this race last year in St. Louis, Ross wrecked him, and then he wrecked him again at Atlanta. So the scorebook was getting, like, long form because they had a pretty long history. And he tried to get him back, like, there was an instance in, like, Pocono where, he put him in a bad spot. He didn't really wreck him, but it was like one of those situations where, like, I'm not leaving you any room. So you better lift or you're hitting the fence. And so, like, that was one. He'll race him a lot harder. He's not cutting him any breaks. And then earlier this year, it was funny because he got suspended for it. Cause he talked about it on his podcast because he would have gotten, but he admitted it. He was like, end of the race. I realized I wasn't running well. I didn't have a chance. So I just let go of the wheel and turn right into the fence and hit him.
1: Uh, it's like so the next game where the pitcher's like, oh, like, yeah, I hit him.
2: Manipulation. So he got he got in trouble. But like, yeah, the long-winded way is saying is. They definitely remember and they keep a scorebook. And now after that, he's like, okay, now we're even. We're just going to like, they talked afterwards, like we're even now. Don't do it again. Type thing. Okay. So. okay. That works. Like no one t- no Ross. Ross has a long list of guys. He's even with Denny, but there's a lot of guys that don't like him. Like he's oh, got no. a whole scorebook of just people whose clock he's cleaned <laughs> or raced unfairly. People think he raced them there unfairly. So it'll be interesting to watch. If you want a good five minutes, look up NASCAR radioactive from Kansas this week, where it's where you can hear the drivers like talking on the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The five minutes is well worth your time to listen <laughs> to all the shit that was going on this week. Outstanding stuff.
1: As always, Mitch, Mitch always bringing up NASCAR, man. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, so just wrapping up here again, Zoe will be back next week. Uh, I gotta, He'll be back from his ther- therapy therapy session with, the, with Lynn. Ooh, there you go. There you go. Um. Cubs have day off Thursday, then they play three in Please. Minnesota.
2: Help uh, and us. And then out. three
1: in Houston. And then the Sox come back and they're playing Houston and then Cleveland.
2: So There's a couple big oh, seasons. Mostly for the Sox. Even the north side is out there. for <laughs> Both those series. Ah. Be
1: uh I don't know, guys. It's gonna be I think it's gonna be we're gonna be a, out of middling for the next couple of weeks, treading it's water. Like two,
2: it's two <laughs> ships passing in the night once again. This is kind of like 2019. You guys are on the way down <laughs> after being at least you won your like World Series, and we're kind of the way up. And like they're kind of like the met in the middle. Like that Crosstown <laughs> classic, remember, was fun because we're like, yeah, like we're on the way up. And like now it's like reversed. The Cubs are a year away, and we're slowly declining. But it's worse because we didn't win a World Series, so you know. Yeah, it's yeah. That that's the. Man,
1: one one bad pitch away, Kevin, and mm-hmm. and all these years could have been a lot, a lot worse. Uh, <laughs> <huh>? <laughs> well, for for Kevin, for Mitch, um Aldo, this is the Pinwheels and Navy podcast. Everybody be good. We'll see you next week.
0: Hey. This Padre's pitch is shitting bricks right now. Why? Cause Danny fucking Burgess is up in back. Guy just started Shake Shack straight to the dugout. Rebuild of the favorites. We here for the latest. South side or the north side. Not tuned to the greatest. Home team for the home teams. Both sides got our own rings. On the mound or the long ball. But we don't put the wrong strings. Yeah. (laughs) It's that time of the year now. Lee or Ganty. So the whole league that we here now. New show with a new move. Discussions and interviews. Straight rumors that might be. This is Pinwheels and Knife. Yeah. This is what you're waiting for, yeah. You can put it on a boy, yeah. Every season make it all changed. Take me out to the bargain game. This is what you're waiting for, yeah. You can put it on a boy, yeah. Every season make it all changed. Take me out to the bargain This is what you're waiting for, yeah. You can put it on the boy, yeah. Put it on the board. Every season, make it all change. Every season, make it all change. Take me, oh, yeah. me out to the ball. Take me out to the ball.